Do you have a show or a YouTube channel, podcast, or relevant product that you want to promote at the top of the Elseworlds Exchange? Well, now's your chance, man. For 50 bucks, you'll get a month's worth of plugs at the audio version right here of the Elseworlds Exchange. Right at the top of the show, first thing they'll hear... Now, it'll probably still be my voice, but you'll write up a short one-minute plug, we'll record it, and toss it at the front of the show. Or, alternatively, for 20 bucks, you can get a month's worth of plugs at the end of the show. Right after you hear us sign off, same deal, one-minute scripted plug for your stuff. How do you take advantage of this incredible opportunity? Just go to therealcomicpop.com, hit the contact button at the top, and fill everything out, and we'll work it out through PayPal. By the way, we do reserve the right to reject or accept based on our own personal taste. I'm not going to plug your Nazi podcast, man, I'm sorry. You know what, I'm not sorry about that. But you're not going to do it anyway, so go to therealcomicpop.com, hit the contact button at the top of the page, fill everything out, and we'll work it out. Worth it. This episode is brought to you by Patreon, specifically the Comic Pop Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash comic pop and find out more about how you can keep the lights on here at Comic Pop. And don't worry, we've got plenty of fun rewards, including early access to videos and weekly updates about what's happening here at the studio. That's patreon.com slash comic pop. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland comes the friend of the unfortunate, enemy of criminals. A mysterious, all-powerful character... A problem to the police, but a crusade of the law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Elseworlds Exchange. I'm Sal. And I am the beardless Cape Joel. Yes, let's let's address the Joel in the room. <laughs> Joel has no beard right now, everybody. No, I, I bet my beard and lost in, you know, one of those competitions you hear about. That's all right. The time. That's right. <laughs> Man, I bet my beard you're wrong. And I turned Son out of a bitch. Beard, so I lost it. <laughs> No, no, I started tapering. It was the thing. It was getting too long. I was going to have to start braiding it soon, and then I got too overzealous and had to cut the whole thing. Yeah. I thought, because there was no weekly pull this week, and there was no the pull this week. I'm like, oh, cool, it can all grow back by then. But then Sal's like, hey, don't forget our Wednesday show. I'm like, er, on camera, live, people will see. Oh, no. <laughs> Thwarted yeah. by the Elseworlds Exchange. So, yeah, sorry about that. But uh, you right. know what? We're here. Let's do it. So, uh, today's topic is going to be a little bit heavy. Uh, actually, because uh, Tiff, Ben, and I chatted uh, the other day about uh, kind of a deeper topic as well, we talked about, um, what was it? Uh, I don't remember what that Legacy was. Legacy Heroes. Legacy versus Heroes new versus New Characters. Thank you. I watched that video Thanks and for I watching. enjoyed it. But uh, we talked about that, and I, this was one of the li- on my list of things I wanted to talk about and get into. Because I thought, like, we don't address as many heady topics as, as we should. You know, we, no, we, it's usually kind of fun and, you know, easy going on this show. Let's talk about action figures. Exactly, yeah, the last one was action figures. So let's try and, uh, let's try and bring it down a little bit, talk a little See. bit about, you know, because I heard this the other day. Somebody mentioned that DC was just straight up more consumer friendly than mm-hmm. Marvel. And so I wanted to say I wanted to address that. And so uh, before we get into like the numbers and shit, I wanted to just say, Joel, is DC more consumer friendly than Marvel? Is Marvel losing their consumer ability? Well, you know the comics. important thing. To, the important thing to keep in mind about any topic like this is that the comic industry and the big two, DC and Marvel, it's always up and down, and rarely do you find a situation where both Marvel and DC are up at the same time. Like you know, you fast forward just a while ago to the DCU era, to the new 52 era, and it was completely flip-flop. We were making jokes about DC, DC was down in the crapper, and Marvel was riding high and everything. And now, 
couple years later, total reversal of fortune. Well, that's what they say. That's what that's that that's the consensus. That's the vibe. That's the overall uh, tone that everybody keeps, seems to be copping to, which is. Uh, DC is crushing Marvel, DC's killing Marvel, uh, Marvel is slaved DC, you know, Marvel can't seem to get their shit together. Who now is running can. that damn place? That seems to be the, uh, the vibe. Or at least that's where the, that's what the loudest voices in the fan community are saying. Um, the question is, is it true? And, you know, it's funny, um... I personally, from my perspective, and not necessarily from an opinion perspective, or even from a sales perspective, just from me and what I buy, what I, or what I choose to buy first, um, I am technically buying more Marvel books than DC books. Right. Do you find that's the case with you as well? Uh, I was always 50-50 was the thing. I remember even back when I worked for the other guys, back when I worked uh, for the comic book cast, my original thing, my thing that got me in the door was I was the DC guy. Right. I was the guy who read more DC than Marvel. That was my niche. And then as time went on, I started incorporating more Marvel books till I was about 50-50. I would say as it stands right now, for reviews on my channel and for videos, and surely people can see this, I definitely review more DC books than Marvel, but that's really more of a number thing. When it comes to shit that I just read on my own, it's about 50-50, because I'll read stuff that doesn't get put up on the channel, like uh, like Hulk right there. Like that book is digging that, but I know it probably won't get many numbers, or at least won't get as many views as a equally sized DC book, so yeah. I make the little trade-off I, I foresee some cancellation in Hulk's future, uh, especially after issue six. I just read it. I hated it. And I forgot it came out this week. I am actually, I need thoroughly to go disappointed. It. it was. I was like, this better. This is a slow burn. It's going someplace. First arc wrapped. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Really? See that that hurts me because like right now it was kind of jockeying for a position on like my best of the year where it's like if it can stick this landing because it's so subdued and so subtle and yeah. so cool for no. a Hulk book. But now you break my heart. <laughs> I'm sorry, so. I don't mean to do that. I want you to have a pure reading experience. I'm just. I was so disappointed, and no one's reading Hulk, so it's hard to find anybody who cares about what's happening in that book. I uh, know, right? Well, to tell you what, I'll read it this week, and then I'll come back with my thoughts. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so from a YouTuber perspective, we just talked about ourselves. We do technically buy um, more DC books than Marvel, but that's a very small sample size. Two out of a yeah. potential 200,000 or more. Pretty uh, much, yeah. But but that being said, uh, you know, as a YouTuber, from our perspective, I can tell you some little little bit inside baseball. I think that DC videos do better right now. I yeah, I would say so. Like, well, even a thing just to contrast and compare. Uh, what is it? We had the button and we had Secret Empire going head to head for yeah. a little bit there. Button coverage did way better than Secret Empire coverage, and I know because I put them both basically back-to-back, same-day, same-time slot. Oh. And I think it was about a 2K difference for the button. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, well, so let me tell you something. I thought that it would be a smart move to just go back and forth, take D, like Button and Secret Empire. It's perfect. We can really split it down the middle and show both of the, like, both the big two their, uh, you know, their, their, their fair due. Secret Empire doesn't hold a candle to the button which at the end of the day was just like hey let's watch batman and flash do something real quick like it secret empire is an epic marvel status quo changing blah 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 the world will never be the same again and like let me tell you something um have like let me fold in if we're baking a cake i'm gonna fold in a little bit of numbers for you um marvel's numbers have not been nearly as good they they they, they hit a significant dip 
right after Secret Wars ended. And they've never right. quite recovered. And I don't mean to mm. say, by the way, that does not mean Marvel hasn't recovered, Mar- Marvel is in the shitter, Marvel's doing poorly. I'm saying that Marvel is did not recover from the Secret Wars event. Right. And who knows why that is? It could be because people were expecting a reboot. It could be because by the time Secret Wars is over, people were fatigued and done. Uh, it could, could be, be be- that Secret Wars was a really good tapping out point. Like, that was a nice story. I think I'm done now. Right? What a good time to stop. I don't know. But uh, but the fact... Everything lives. Okay. <laughs> right. Thanks, Reed. Enjoy not being in a book for a long time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... For that, I mean, Marvel is like superficially they 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 took a hit after Secret Wars, and I think that like after Secret Wars, they might want to they might have wanted to reconsider the whole event thing, right? Or going all in on events, even though it seems to be that events are the way to make money. As it turns out, and what we discussed before is that like event comics do result in a bump in sales. Yep. But the bump goes, you know, a bump is this. It's not a a, a freaking right angle that just never stops going for, towards the sun. It's not sustainable. And I know, like, the whole idea of tie-ins for your event is hopefully to get some eyes on a book yeah. that maybe people aren't reading that they might enjoy. But, you know, that's a, that's a rarity that it happens when it happens. You might get a couple people to stick around and read a book where it's like, oh, I really enjoyed that. I think I want to see where this is sure. going from here. But, but also, even then yeah. – oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're also pissing off your core readers by changing streams or changing, like, ores midstream and being like, let's do this. Yeah, and forcing the writers to be like, look, do I tie in completely to this event – to, you know, try and, you know, uh, reel in those people who aren't reading it, or do I kind of try and stay the course and tell the story I'm telling? Of course, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Palmiotti, and I always love reading his event tie-ins because you can tell he really doesn't care Mm -hmm. about it. He's like, look, I will pay lip service to your event. I will have a thing happen, but at the end of the day, I'm telling my story. Yeah, exactly. If it naturally flows in, I will do it. If uh, if you ever read his tie-in for, like, Night of the Owls, which was Jonah Hex, which was already kind of weird because it's like he's fighting a thousand or hundreds of years removed version of a talent from the court of owls right. and it's great because jonah's just walking around having an adventure oh dumb to dumb to dumb man gotta gotta deal with these guys with the crime bible and everything oh no a talent better shoot a man that was sure harry time to continue with this story though <laughs> yeah so i mean i can imagine how that would not necessarily contribute to the sales of jonah hex books not uh, really, but then again, I think Palmiotti is a guy who knows his audience, knows his numbers, and knows to get in and out. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, um, I was looking at, uh, just talking a little bit about numbers, I was looking back at uh, 2012, mm. when uh, Marvel and when Marvel just started Marvel Now, and DC was eight months deep, I think, in, uh, in uh, DC, uh, New 52. I remember this era. It's when it really started taking off for me as a comic book YouTuber. Right? So, uh, number one, the first thing that I noticed was there were books breaking 200,000. Right. Uh, that book, unfortunately, was Avengers vs. X-Men. Oh, no. And it was issue one. Oh, no. So, uh, big deal event. It's funny because it used to be, I was actually looking through some old numbers and I was thinking to myself, like, man, I gotta pick a time when there weren't any events going on. Uh, I have to go back before before 2005. 
Jesus. And I'm not going to do that because then that completely changes the dynamic. I'm thinking just about, you know, like when status quos were starting to shift over. Like, ooh, like Marvel's just dovetailing out of their uh, their new status quo. It's basically the end of Marvel Now 2.0 slash all new, all different Marvel. And DC right. has is, is a year deep in DC Rebirth. Let's take a look at some some, com- some comparable times. So with this, uh, Avengers vs. X-Men was in the top. Um, it's zero issue was the second best-selling issue in March of 2012. Um, but interestingly enough, the top ten slot was occupied by both Batman, Superman, Avengers, and Justice League. Like, those are the world. With a weird exception of Green Lantern number seven also sold in the high 90s. Or in the, uh, was, in the, in the low 90s. What was going on with that issue? Why did that one blow up I so don't know, bad? actually. Green Lantern number seven. Let me know what happened in Green Lantern number seven. Uh, was it good? Was it real good? Right? Was it just, was the buzz that freaking good about Green Lantern for some reason? But, uh, but it was interesting because you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, like... One thing to note is that Marvel and DC's placement in the top ten, top five slots haven't really changed in the last five years. No. Same books are occupying them, the same uh, publishers are occupying them, and while um, uh, in an inverse place, I know that whenever I look at uh, Comixology's top pulled books of that time, um, I notice that DC is typically dominating the top five top ten um, right when it comes to sales like just pure sales uh it's pretty much neck and neck right you know like some like marvel might be two-thirds dc might be two-thirds it really depends you know but with march it was it was pretty much hand in hand um batman always of course sells the best but like anyway point being is that uh when it comes to just looking at the last five years back when you said like five years ago AVX, you couldn't say they weren't really doing a lot of uh, reliance on X-Men. You couldn't say the X-Men were being marginalized, although you could argue that X-Men was uh, was definitely pigeonholed and typecast or at least forced yep. into an event that they wouldn't necessarily fit into. But uh, but you could say, like, hey, Marvel's doing all right. You weren't like people were kind of complaining, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it uh, as it seems to be today. There was interesting stuff going on. There was yeah. uh, there was some direct. There was an overabundance of time travel. Remember that for mm-hmm. the original Marvel. Now it seemed like everything was time travel centric. Yes, I do remember that. That was weird, especially because they didn't really do anything interesting with it. Felt like they were building up to something, right? Like some sort of time war, some sort of like, oh no, you broke the space-time continuum thing. Well, it's funny, I was just talking about that recently. A few people commented on an episode of uh, Age of Ultron when we were doing that on back issues. And they were just recently found it and talked about it, how they were like, uh, the fallout from Age of Ultron actually resulted in like secret wars. And I think that's not true. I think it's more like... Secret Wars was an idea that hit that, that Hickman was working on, and it just so happened that time travel was br- that the, the the one thing they were all worried about in Age of Ultron was them breaking the space time continuum. Right, this was time. right. Not about like breaking time and having it result in incursions. Incursions were separate from the time break. But but yeah, they were working on time, and it was like maybe there might be something going on. Never. Did Every anything. story was time centric. The X Men were messing with time. Everyone was messing with time. It's true. And the only thing that really happened was Angela got shaken out of the tenth realm. Ah yes. That's all that happened because of the time travel nonsense. Um, is is that how she came in? Because I wasn't reading Guardians at the time. The only real Angela thing I read was that whole you know. Uh, 
Thor, Loki, original sin. Oh, hey, we're actually telling the story of who she is. It's literally just the end of Age of Ultron, the double-page spread that Casada drew, where she's like, if someone, like, whoever woke me up is gonna pay, and Angela shows mm. up, and you're like, freaking what? Remember how excited we all were about the Angela thing because in the back of our minds we had hoped that meant that Gaiman actually got like Miracle Man in the deal and yeah, that, that she would day. be the harbinger of Miracle Man showing up in Marvel? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Nope. Didn't even harbinger uh, Neil Gaiman writing anything for Marvel. No, that's weird. It's just one giant middle finger to Todd McFarlane. Yeah, I mean like... Thanks. I mean, it does it does uh, resolve any issue that McFarlane does have with with Neil Gaiman. Like they don't have to. McFarlane doesn't have to worry about publishing Angela or about reprinting Angela or about making Angela action figures. It's all out of his hands. But um, anyway, that being said, uh, when it comes to sales, like is Marvel uh, hurting itself? Is Marvel less consumer friendly than it used to be? Um, I mean, judging just from a scheduling and monetary thing, DC books are cheaper now, come out more frequently. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting because Marvel has a weird... The Marvel and DC have, very, have two very different philosophies when it comes to uh, monthly books and the pricing of them. Uh, Marvel's like, the same books will come out by the same creative teams over the last 10 years, and uh, they're going to be $5. And they're going to come out once a month. And DC's is, let's shake up the uh, creative status quo. Let's release our primary books twice a month for a dollar less per book. At the end of the day, you're spending, let's say, $5 an issue on a, uh, on a Spider-Man book in, from Marvel. You're spending, what, $6? I'm sorry, uh, yeah, six, 6 and change per month on a DC book. But you're getting, like, pretty much double the content. That's really the only change. Uh, some other stuff the chat just mentioned here that I thought was important. Supermark says there, and of all the DC Rebirth books we have right now, no cancellations yet. Really? Nothing's been canceled? I don't think anything's been canceled I think you're yet. Right. I, think, I think everything that's been, even like Blue Beetle and everything is still, it's still coming going. out. I thought Blue Beetle was canceled, but that's messed up. I did too. Way to go. I, I dropped off because it just wasn't the book I wanted it to be. And uh, Joel Kenna Kuroko, he said something <laughs> interesting there. He said uh, DC listens to their fans. Do they? They didn't for a good solid five years. They tried to force everything you didn't like down your throat and saying you will like it and you will love it. It's only when they were at their darkest hour where they're like, hey, maybe old Superman should come back and maybe all the sidekicks should come back and maybe all these other things you've been yelling at us about for five years should See, happen yeah that's a good question does dc listen to their fans i will say having actually had the opportunity to go to the dc rebirth panel at wondercon last year you and did. Being, being there and watching the the, the back and forth in the conversation i mean everyone else is there too because it live streamed but uh, if you were there and you watched the whole thing i did get a distinct impression that dc was at least trying to perpetuate the uh the the, the narrative that we listened to you that we're trying it was a wonderful to panel want. yeah it was a number one it was a flawlessly executed panel number two it had great art number three it had great creators there who were time honored and recognized and like uh, great creators and they made the bad ones like scott labdell stay at home and they brought out like greg rucka and dan abnett and stuff like that being like look you liked these guys you liked them when they worked on the books you liked so it was it was a way and even uh what's his name even dan didia be, being the guy to say Dick Grayson's becoming Nightwing again, and he's going to be blue. Yeah, like it was at least a way for them to say, "Hey, listen, 
Um, it even was if fence they don't, mending. even if behind the scenes they don't give a shit <laughs> about what uh, about what we think. They definitely want you to believe that they hear what you have to say. Which I think is more than I can say for Marvel. Where Marvel's like, here's what we're doing. And that's like the end of the conversation. And you're and people are being like, why are you doing this? Why are we doing this? Why why are why like why any of this? And Marvel's just stonewalling them. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, there seems to be a uh, like kind of like a culture of community fostering that DC has just recently started to adapt. I'm not saying the DC is better at it than Marvel, nor am I saying the DC is just a better place or that they're more that they love their fans more. They're trying saying, to meet people halfway though. At the very least or or they've tr- or they've at least figured out how to monetize uh what can be construed as community fostering. The DC Fan Channel, which we've all done work with, is an excellent idea. It's a great idea. Is it a great execution, though? Did it succeed? I mean, it's a thing that exists, and, you know, it makes people feel closer to the company. I think you're right. I think it does. I certainly feel like I got, we got, we've got a contact at DC. That's, like, Absolutely. more than I can say for Marvel and any True. respect. That being said, I shouldn't necessarily skew it because we have a built-in audience and they want us to sell to their audience. So I understand it's, why it's they're... It's a mutually beneficial relationship, but it's the idea that they're saying, hey comic book creators on YouTube, and this is even talking about fans, this is just talking about guys like me and Sal, hey, you matter, we know your name, and you know ours. Right, and we, well, we believe that what you're doing can benefit us. We believe that what you're saying can help us as well. And that's, like, right on, okay, does, is that community fostering? Does that help us out? I hope so. I mean, like, certainly, that'd be nice. Um, But, yeah, superficially, I'd say that I can understand why people think that DC is more consumer friendly because DC is at least fostering communication with their audience and trying to, you know, make make a make an effort, make a conceited effort. They're whether they're doing this properly or even legitimately or not is beside the point. But they're at least trying to foster this this narrative of like of a collaborative mm. kind of relationship between itself and like its and and, it, and its community, which and, is cool. and again. You- it is. And you know, you mentioned the big conference there. It's not like they kept every promise that they made there, and it's not even like you could see through a lot of what they were saying. I remember the thing that always made me laugh was when they were talking about Green Air, when they're like, so, you know, we sat down with a bunch of the creators, and we asked them, what what makes you love these characters in these stories? You know, completely, completely different and, you know, uh, excommunicated from, you know, from the TV show. You know, what makes you love them? And, you know, we wanted to go in that direction, but uh, Diggle will still be in the story, and he will be wearing his costume from the tv show though and also suicide squad what made you love these characters you know what were the ostrander stories that inspired you but also it will be the team from the movie right (laughs) yeah because we're a multimedia company damn it and this is how it works now and even if they don't like our movies at least we could sell some books exactly um i i will say that there is no communication at Marvel. There is no communication between Marvel and its creators, and there's no communication between Marvel and its fans. Sure uh, doesn't seem that way. And also, even the way they're creators, too, you can tell some guys are just given rough shot to do whatever the hell they want. Yes. Yeah, and and almost, some aren't, and that's probably not a great work environment. I can't imagine. Uh, I have I have spoken with a couple of creators at Marvel, and I will say, I, I will say that they are thankful for their work, but I won't say that they are happy where they are. 
And that's all I can say about that, but I will say that, like, you know, it's all about uh, fostering relationships and being, you know, open and willing and, and, and having a direction is, for me, the most important thing. This this gig that gets you to the next gig. Yeah. But let's take a look. Let's take a look at some numbers here. I have some right here in front of me from the last two months, April and March. Let's take a look at whether or not Marvel is consumer-friendly or not, whether DC is more consumer-friendly or not. Uh, just looking at March... From 2017, let's look at the top five books, okay? And there is a couple of weird outliers. Of course, uh, there always is. But uh, but you know what? Like, the, it's still applicable. It's still worth considering, especially because remember that five years ago, the top book was Avengers vs. X-Men, and it sold 203,000 copies. The mm -hmm. number one book of March of 2017, if you can remember, was a book that I outright boycotted i told the audience not to buy it it was amazing spider-man number 25 it retailed for ten dollars american yes yes it sold, and it was mostly a bunch of fluff and filler it sold 113,000 copies that was the that made it the number one selling book of the month now that's marvel's justification for that crappy thing where it's like look you might not like ten dollar books but you buy them well and here's the thing marvel made this book tw this book ten dollars that sucks but they also made sure to at least have extra content but at the end yeah. of the day if your book is five dollars then you really only are, are are expected to give us 50 percent more and they didn't do that. Like, no. they're just one pages or two pages. It was just, it was a, critically, or, or yeah, I, critically I say that it sucked, although I will say that that's in, that's in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure there are some people who really, really loved what happened in Amazing Spider-Man. But, but Sal, how, if I didn't pay the $10, will I get a short story about Marvel Tsum Tsums? No, you won't, but you probably can get your own whole book starring the Marvel Tsum Tsums at some point. <laughs> Uh, but I'm you also do get a, a thing yet. yeah, and you also get a full page, uh, weird like out of continuity like story about whether or not Peter and Aunt May should get a dog when they when he was yeah. a kid. But anyway, the the point being, it sold dramatically lower numbers than its five year predecessor, but it was still the number one selling book. Yeah. Marvel Marvel said here is. Spider-Man 25. We've actually, we've rebooted Amazing Spider-Man three times. Here is the third reboot of Amazing Spider-Man. It's, it's lasted 25 issues. And to celebrate, we're going to charge you $10. And everybody said, I want that. There was nothing going on in Spider-Man that was uh, eye-catching or event-related. Mm -mm. It wasn't like a Spider-Verse event, or it wasn't it, the... You, you did get the Doc Ock thing to Secret Empire. You, it wasn't even a Spider-Man event, but you got one little event well, you, that was, But it wasn't, like, marketed. It wasn't like, holy shit! Like, the, it wasn't, like, labeled the road to Secret Empire. It wasn't trying to make you... Like, it was. It, there was no gimmick, is my point. Did, I was gonna say, did they not? But then I'm like, no, 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 the secret leaked out, like, a week before it came Yeah, out. no, Bleeding Cool did, probably did more to sell that book because of the uh, Superior Octopus reveal than Marvel did. did. Uh, but that being said, it was still it was still the number one selling book. And then, yeah. by the way, the next three best-selling books that month were all called Batman. Nice. Uh, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race number eight came out. Cannot believe that's still selling as high as it is. I, I thought most people would have abandoned you that You know what it is? It, it, it's literally, it's the same thing as All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. It's the same thing as Dark Knight 2. Uh... The book comes out so infrequently, I can afford six bucks. 
<laughs> I can afford six bucks every six months or every eight months or every year. Plus, I'm a weird masochist. I want to see where this goes. Yeah, plus, it's like a dumpster fire or, or a train wreck. I want to see <laughs> what's happening with this. But uh, but Dark Knight 3 Master Race number 8 came out uh, with 107 cop, 1,000 copies, and it uh, and it was $6. It was a little higher than what Marvel normally sells for a regularly sized issue. Right. Um, then it was Batman 18 and 19. Mm. Part of the Rebirth thing. Yeah. DC sold two issues of Batman for uh, for $6. For $4 cheaper than Amazing Spider-Man, you got two issues of Batman. <laughs> yeah, they um, were good. Is that more consumer-friendly? I say it is. It's definitely more economical. I mean, because that's the thing. What is consumer-friendliness and what is just good business and good economics? Yeah. Now, that said... Uh, uh, it must be because of the Netflix show, but Iron Fist number one was uh, the next best-selling book at number five. And it was disappointing. I bet it plummeted like a mofo oh, after no. that. Oh, no. Uh, oh, let me take a look, actually, the next month where Iron Fist fell from number five on the slot to number 80... I'm sorry, number 77 on the slot. Yeah, that sounds about right. Holy crap. That is a fall and a half. Shame, too. I love Iron Fist. And I like Power Man, and I'm sure uh, Luke Cage will have a similar fall for its oh, yeah. second issue. Now, let's take a look at the next one for Amazing Spider-Man. After the 25th anniversary, or after the 25th issue, uh, issue number 26, okay, it dropped from 113,000 copies to 62,000 copies. Dropped about half of its readership down to the number 15 spot. Dropped from number one to number 15 best-selling books of that month. Dang. Dang. Now, so that being... So so that... Oh, by the way, oh, let's take a look at the top five of April. Uh, Secret Empire number zero came out. That was the number one. It sold 50,000 50, more copies. That's like Aquaman, basically. More copies than Amazing Spider-Man 25. <laughs> For half the price. I um, like that's the yardstick. It sold Aquaman more copies. I've, I've used that metric before. Like, Renew Your Vows sells about Aquaman. I'm sorry, yeah. actually, that's not true. Renew Your Vows sells 25,000. Um, Secret Empire sold double that. So double Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Two Aquamans. But how good is Aquaman? Have you seen that new art? I don't know. I have not, actually. I don't know. I don't read Aquaman. But, I, uh, I've fallen off Aquaman, actually. I was resident Aquaman guy on the pull. Now yeah. I'm like two volumes behind. I need to oh, catch crap. back up again. Um, so, but anyway, but lo looking at the top five. Uh, Secret Empire, Batman, X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, Flash. So it's really, what is it, uh, three Marvel, two DC. Mm. Um, so you see, like, there... It, it, like you said earlier in the in the chat, it is... Just uh, it, it's it's dips and dives, it's bumps and and hills and valleys. Like, just because Marvel is doing things we don't agree with, and even then we don't all disagree with what Marvel's doing. Um, and and as I say too, the talent is there. The books that are good are really good. Daredevil, Thor, everything like that. Yeah. The only prop the problems are all editorial. No, it's true. Um. Well, is the problem editorial? Because like the books are the books that are good are good, and it's because of the efforts of many people. Comics are a collaborative medium that requires uh, artists, writers, editors, colorists, letterers, inkers, all that shit. Uh, printers, you know, like the editor has to be doing a good. If you had a shitty editor on Daredevil, it wouldn't nearly be as good of a book. 
I um, guess. So the question is like, well, we'll get to that question in a minute. But for now, um, I think that if we're going to, like, if, if we were to just answer the question from our own perspectives, I got to say, DC looks more consumer friendly than Marvel. DC they is, look more cohesive, that's for sure. They're definitely moving as a unit. DC is doing a better job of selling the sizzle than they are at actually selling the steak. Because when it comes to the steak selling, Marvel and DC are both selling pretty okay. Um, if you looked at, a, like, I was just looking at an article regarding the diversity issue, you know, that idiot who talked about how, like, oh, Marvel isn't selling because you people don't want diversity. Turns out that the books that have the diversity changes sold pretty much as well as the as they normally did, and they were pulling in the numbers that you would expect from the And, and got the book. great award consideration, too. Like, a lot of the Marvel books that they were talking about in that thing are all, like, up for Hugo Awards or, like, our, uh, New York Times bestsellers, too. Yeah. I mean, like at the at the end of the, when you're looking at that, when you're looking at the sales, it's or at, at the numbers and the sales and the and the fact that like, you know, just because people are saying that they don't want diversity, the diversity characters, the diversity characters, I hate to call them that, but like because you have it, to, it's a stupid term. Like legacy character sounds better, yeah. doesn't it? And is kind of more truthful, isn't right. it? But the changed characters, you know, their their numbers are doing just as well as any other numbers or any other of the predecessors' numbers when you look at them when you crunch those numbers, and so. Uh, it's really more of like a culture, whereas DC, okay, I think that we can look at it from two different, for the, where DC is fostering a culture of the publisher and its fandom. It's getting mm. in, it, it's, I think, going more uh, 21st century, where they're like, listen, in a world, uh, in today's world, there are technically real, the, the celebrity is dying. Yeah, that's at least that's that's something that I like to theor that that I think. Uh, I remember watching. I use this example all the time, and I'm going to use it again. Uh, it's it's. Do you you remember Re Rebecca Black? Yes, Friday. Got to yeah, get Friday. down on gotta, Friday. Got to get down on Friday. Um, and indeed she did. But uh, my uh, <laughs> the song came to pass. Yeah, but uh, okay. So there was this terrible reporter. I don't remember her name, but she's this she's this stock reporter for like basic television news like 2020 not barbara walters but somebody else and uh she had only about a week or two prior interviewed charlie sheen when he did his infamous tiger blood oh rant. yes i'm on a drug called charlie sheen it's charlie not available sheen. if you try it once you will die <laughs> that's my okay one of my favorite meltdowns i've ever seen in my life um because Beautiful. i think he, Mm. Because he had he had total control over the meltdown. He's like, okay, here's the part where I melt down here, and here's where I take it from there. F quotable, but not even in an ironic way. I just loved saying things that he said. Winning. I'm a Vatican assassin on Tiger Blood. He turned his meltdown into a road show. <laughs> <laughs> he literally took his meltdown on the road, and he'd come to your town and melt down in front of you right. and pay him $5. So you got that going. And then I think like a week or two later, she did the same, she had the same like set, same format, where she interviewed Rebecca Black. And I do kind of remember this now. Yeah, the interaction that she has between Charlie Sheen and Rebecca Black are night and day and fucking fascinating. Because she talks to Charlie <laughs> Sheen, like, oh my god, Charlie Sheen, you're the no good drug addict in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I wanted to bang you so bad. Like, I love you. You're having a meltdown. It's amazing. I'm gonna get so many, so much ratings. Then she talks to Rebecca Black, and the questions that she asks Rebecca Black are fucking spectacular because one of them is basically like, so do you think you're good? Do you think that like you can sing for real? I do remember this now. It's just this fucking this this obnoxious like 
condescending. Condescension where she's like, do you understand? Do you understand that two weeks ago I had Charlie Sheen on this couch and now you're here. Who the fuck are you? And like for me, I'm like, hooray, because what it's really saying is celebrities are dying. Everyone is a celebrity. The- YouTubers are celebrities. Now, PewDiePie is seen by probably more mo- than like uh, your average movie star. I watched Markiplier su- uh, supply 12 consecutive Make-A-Wish Foundation requests in person. It was that horrifying. That should tell you everything you but, need to know. But that, be- but, but that aside, I'm not saying that like celebrities are dead and I wouldn't give a shit if Harrison Ford or some other or like Mark or Chris Pond. The or idea of celebrity yeah. is changing. I'm saying that it's it's just like I'm saying that. Uh, everyone has the opportunity. The old lady who witnesses a, uh, a a grocery store robbery can become a song and have like her whole life changed. Ch- like Chewbacca mom can be popular. Chewbacca mom. I, I I found her too late, but I laughed my ass off all the same. My, you know what it is? Yeah. What Andy Warhol said is coming to pass. In the future, everyone will have fifteen minutes of fame. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and so Warhol in, called it in this in this culture. We're seeing that people, or that the, the the line between celebrity and fan is kind of blurring, and I think that DC's getting on the bandwagon where they're like, no, no, accessibility is higher now than ever before between everybody and what they care about, and so as such, we need to be more accessible. Like I could literally ruin uh, Kevin Bacon's day by giving him the the best cutting edge, tw- like just the perfect cut to the quick tweet. If I if, he, if he's if he's looking at his phone at the same time that I want to destroy his day, I technically could ruin it. Ooh, I have the, like, such access, like, unlimited power. If I were a sociopath, I would I would think these things. But like, yeah, there's plenty of them. And, but don't worry, where there's no shortage of them. But the fact like is because uh, I don't worry. There's a point to all this to this rant is that. Uh, the line between like or the accessibility has increased exponentially and it's it's just a it's it's dc is fostering this accessibility culture even if it's not even true they're trying to make you think that they're more accessible i have more access to dc dc's creators and the process at dc than ever before yeah and marvel is fostering a completely different i don't even mean opposing because i don't think they're even thinking about it but marvel's fostering a completely different culture over there uh and i'm i'm not really quite sure what the hell it is yet but i think they're i think they're working on it like i think they're i think they're building towards it or or they have some kind of direction but whatever it is it is not that and even if it's not even if dc's method isn't as successful or isn't isn't uh, financially viable or isn't financially successful. It's successful in as much as it's converting more vocal fans. It's mm. converting more fan. It's it's tricking a lot more people. I don't mean I don't I don't mean to say tricking because I mean maybe they are more accessible. God knows I have more access to DC Comics now than I did ten years ago. Is it True. successful or is it because I'm working on this job? Who knows? But the fact is, DC's fostering a culture of connectivity and accessibility with their career with the with their fan base and marvel is not and and marvel's instead fostering a community where it's like about maybe they were trying like diversity or maybe they were just trying to foster a create like a culture of like we're doing anything we're trying it all and who knows if it works we almost anything can happen we're the house of ideas yeah anything can happen anything can happen over here 
Here, here's an interesting thing because I thought about this. We were talking about you know comic companies' uh, relationship with their fan bases, with their readers, and everything. What about their relationship with like critics and awards? I have up here right now uh, yeah. the Eisner Awards for oh, this great. year for 2017. Not many DC books in it, interestingly enough. Right. Here's the thing. So like, uh, what is it? Best continuing series. We got the Mighty Thor on there. It's the only Marvel book for best continuing series. Best limited series, Han Solo, which is technically Star Wars, which technically makes it Marvel. Which, by the way, just a quick pin in your thing, uh, we all expected Star Wars to be like the number one book for Marvel all the time. It's not. Shocking. It's not bad. It's not selling poorly. It's actually always like in the top 20. But it didn't. It wasn't the cash cow that they thought. And which, oh gee, if only I had fifteen to twenty years worth of data from Dark Horse to prove that theory. But who knows? But anyway. <laughs> now here's one here too. For best new series, here we actually see a bit of a split. We see uh, Deathstroke by Christopher Priest is actually up for an Eisner for best new series, which I find very impressive. I thought I was the only one carrying a torch for that yeah. series. And the uh, and the one Marvel one we have here is Mockingbird, which of course got canceled kind of quickly, but still had a lot of love and admiration behind it. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Books canceled. Isn't that the one with the cover that says "Ask me about my feminist agenda" and caused that's a lot of people one. to shit their pants? That's the one. Wow. Interesting. Going up against Christopher Priest Deathstroke. Now, for best publication, uh, teens age 13 to 17, there's the Hope Larson Batgirl mm. in there and Unbeatable Squirrel Girl both sharing the same uh, the same space. Interesting, interesting. Very. Yeah. And then, of course, best reality-based work, you have Dark Knight, a true Batman story, but that's more a Paul Dini thing than a DC thing. Yeah, that's... And it's Vertigo. Yeah, if if yeah, it's a Vertigo book, which I don't consider. I don't. I consider that like a, almost like a, a separate independent publishing label. It but, basically uh, is. But yeah, but it's but DC's like yeah, but we also get that though. We could put that on our shit. <laughs> it's, it's it's just funny as I look here. It seems that like uh, what is it? The Marvel stuff definitely gets more prestige stuff going on. Yeah, um, I will. Like the other thing is. Um, Marvel has, I mean, like, then, then it gets into a criticism about Marvel and their publishing practices, because, like, you look at their trade paperback habit, and number one, they do put out trades quickly and efficiently, but DC's trades are cheap, are cheaper. Yeah. I can get this, uh, this one's 17 bucks, same book, would be at Marvel, would be probably 20 or more. I've seen mm. some trades that collect, like, four issues, five issues for 30, which is unfucking believable but uh but anyway yeah it's interesting um is marvel less consumer friendly than dc or is, is there even a is that even an argument at this point um i would say that like no i think if you cut through it if you cut through the the double speak and the and, and the smoke and mirrors that marvel and dc are in the same position they were at like five years ago 10 years ago 20 years that's, ago that's the thing about comics and i've only been doing it professionally for a little bit yeah. But everything in the comic industry is circular, and it'll come back again. And God willing, in five years, if Sal and I are still in this business, we can talk about how Marvel clawed their way back to the top I mean, and how DC shit the bed. Yeah, it's funny because um, while we, it's hard, and I acknowledge this, it's hard to 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 extricate the yourself from your perspective about what's happening. I think that Marvel is doing a lot of, like, things wrong with their main characters, but mm -hmm. they're not... They're, but but the whole market is hurting if you compare now to five years to ten years ago. It's true. Um, so, you know, it, 
They need a shakeup, that's for sure. They do need a shakeup because the question is, are their practices working or are their characters working? Are people buying Amazing Spider-Man 25 because it's like, because Dan Slott did such a great job or because the buzz about Amazing Spider-Man 25 was so high? Or is it because it was a 25th, if it, because it was a 25th issue and it was $10 and they like marketed it as like a special double size bonus book? I mean, I think the characters are as relevant now as they've ever been and will continue to be relevant if I may get, you know, all hoity-toity sure, here. Yeah, Superheroes no, are our modern-day mythology and everything. Agreed. Absolutely. No, I think I think it's just a peak and valley thing that they're in right now. And here's hoping that something does happen. But more importantly than that, here's hoping they pick a status quo and stick with it for a little bit. Yeah, but does that – but is that the way to do it? Is, I mean, like, while that would help us, would that would that help Marvel? Would that help Marvel sell better, or would they, or, or would it only do would it only doom them? Because what I, I'm I, always I worried, don't know. I'm always worried about them about these guys about creatives learning the wrong damn lessons. You know, mm-hmm. like like um, I don't know, selling Spider-Man for for ten dollars for a piece of shit, and yet it being the number one selling book that month and kind of being off the number one selling books unless it was an event non first non-event number one like uh best-selling book in a while um it's just weird like I, I don't i don't know i don't want them to be like that's the way to do it we gotta we gotta like every 25 issues make them ten dollars <laughs> you know um or or every two years we gotta reboot them all and then and then give them a new number one Yeah. Another thing they're saying in the chat, and I've seen this sentiment around a lot, but no one ever seems to bother to try and explain it. They're like, oh, Marvel has a problem with pandering. Pandering to who and to what? To whom and and how? That's Um, so broad a statement. It is very, it is, it is a very broad statement. And it's like, I would argue that DC is the one that's pandering. They're the oh, ones God, who yeah, are they're give... pandering to guys like us who remember back in the day yeah, when given... Superman did this. Yeah, yeah, they made they literally replaced the Superman that like four people think is awesome. Like, yeah, that's the ultimate pandering. Now that that said, Superman's also selling better than it has probably in a long time. So True. there's something to be said for that. Is it because they pandered, or is it because the stories are just also solid? It's funny how hand in hand that is because those books, the Superman books, I've read Superman. Superman is not the best written book all the time. Um, at least it wasn't when I was growing up. And now it's great. And it's it's not is it is it All-Star Superman? Is it Superman for all seasons? Not necessarily, but you know what? Like it's it, it's it's as good as the serialized fiction that Superman had like had been and where it came from. I mean, uh you know, it's interesting. Um, Do some... you think too with DC and like the success of DC Rebirth? Uh, I, I see you drinking your Coke Zero there and enjoying it. Do you think it was like a new Coke style thing where it's like, hey, here's the new Fifty Two. You're not gonna like it, but you'll have to deal with it for about five years. And then when we think you're really sick of it and that maybe we've wringed just enough out of it, we'll bring back the old no, stuff I... that you really okay. Liked. That's an interesting conspiracy theory that like DC that New Fifty Two was like. A, a plan or a ploy because I've heard the conspiracy theory about New Coke that like okay sales for New Coke I've heard two theories about New Coke by the way one is that sales are down we'll replace the thing they like with something that sucks then when it comes back it'll be a big deal and they'll all rebuy old Coke I've also heard that they wanted to shift over from like regular sugar to high fructose corn syrup they changed mm. to New Coke made it taste weird brought it back and changed it to high fructose corn syrup and that's what I've heard conspiracy theories about New Coke and so when you say like is it the New Coke thing I always associate it with a conspiracy theory like did, did DC <laughs> oh it's absolutely a conspiracy theory yeah, did DC throw away all their continuity and replace it with the big shake up so that they could bring it back in five years no 
No, I don't. <laughs> no, they, they did I'm not. just saying if they, if they learned from the new Coke thing, being like, man, I bet if we gave them everything they wanted right now, they'd be super stoked. You know what's funny? I think that they were thinking, because they're not giving us everything they want, or everything we want. They're giving us... They're, they're, it's all part of, I think it's all part of their, their narrative of being like, look, we're all friendly, we love you, and we're friends, we have a whole channel dedicated to you, haha. <laughs> but, like, they're not giving us everything we want. They're like, here's some things you want. But, like, we're still keeping all the stuff that we did. You know, Tim Drake is still Red Robin, you know. Shazam mm. still don't have no book, you know. He does. Martian, Martian Manhunter Man no is still MIA. Like, uh, just because Superman's back and then got merged with himself, and so there's a an even more complicated rebooted continuity you know it, it's weird I, I i don't know how to how to how to square that circle as rob would say but uh but it's interesting and the other thing is and this actually dovetails into a, a topic that we'll have to discuss in the future which is is dc rebirth a publishing line or is it technically an event yeah that's the thing i mean they definitely they're connecting more than they ever did before they're all dropping hints and you feel like no matter what you read they're making some sort of reference to this whole overarching watchman thing even if it's big even if it's small yeah yeah it's true uh i have not seen not since civil war have i seen this kind of like interconnectivity in a in in, in a line-wide publishing spectrum because it's like, you know, Batman's got his button he's dealing with. Superman is dealing with Mr. Oz. The Green Lanterns are dealing with their own problem that are leading to missing 10 years. The Titans have Wally and are getting a bunch of memories back that they never had before. It feels like it's all little pieces of a much bigger puzzle and one day we'll have to get all our string theory boards out. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, uh, so Joel, answer the question. Is, uh, is, is DC more creative, consumer friendly than Marvel? They might seem that way more now, but I would say the companies probably have more in common that they don't. I just think DC's having a really awesome last couple years. Yeah, I think, I, but it's funny, they're not selling better than they were five years ago. They're not They're not beating Marvel in sales. It's just, I think they're just, uh, it, like, their new coat of paint is just shinier, flashier, and nicer looking than Marvel's. They, they put some flames on it, and obviously in science, if you put flames on a thing, it goes faster. It goes faster and is, of course, intrinsically cooler. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. I think that it's just that it. I think that uh, that looks can be deceiving, and it just feels like it is. I think that uh, yeah, I think that when you're hungrier, a sandwich it might be more delicious. You know, if you're thirsty, water tastes better. And if you're if you're if you are hungry or thirsty for for the status quo and for better written comics, then DC might seem more appetizing, but it might just be as good as it was five years ago. And here's another thing too. Again, because you know Sal and myself, we've read comics long enough. I think we can say this with some authority. We're really digging it now, but it can change a like dime. that. Oh yeah, like oh, it, it can could... come to a screeching halt. Yeah, yeah, it could. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what it would be. Marvel could do the same thing. By the way, I'm, I hate Secret Empire right now. Like, it's just, I'm still into it. I think it's horrible. I, I read the most recent issue, I was like, F you, this is just a not, a, this is, I am not enjoying this. Um, I'm still digging it. Well, but, although it's funny, I fell in love with Spencer's Captain America thing because I loved all the political analogies he was making yeah. and all the ripped from the headline stuff. That's not really in Secret Empire, and that's not really what Secret Empire is about. It's how we got there. Yeah. But the event itself is not dealing with that. The tie-in books are doing that, especially the Captain America tie-in book where the last one was straight up Fox, uh, Frost Nixon. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And, you know, it's kind of like a thing where it's like, hmm, 
you know, it's like you lured me in here with one thing, and while I'm liking where you're going, I now that you mentioned, I'm like, hey, where'd that thing go that I liked? I don't know. I this most recent issue, Sam Wilson looks directly at the reader and then gives a speech that if you if you re- read it again, read the speech where where uh, what where Sam Wilson's looking at you. It's the big full top page, and uh, Sam Wilson is talking. He says Hydra once replace Hydra with Trump, and tell me that that is not just a Nick Spencer tweet, and I will give you a dollar. Like, and oh, I'm not oh. talking about you guys down there. I don't have enough dollars for all of you. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it absolutely is. And, like, you know, again, that's why I got into it. You know what's the one that actually stuck out to me now that we're talking about this? It's the Black Widow speech and the Black Widow side thing. I haven't read their tie in Uprising no, yet, I haven't but in read the actual it. issue. I thought it was funny because that's clearly Nick Spencer dealing with his own particular brand of. Uh, what's the word of pacifism okay through a champions black widow style story where black widow's like you got to kill him kids got to learn to kill sometimes you got to make the hard choice kill 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 mm-hmm. but the champions being the holdout students like no you got to find a better way we're heroes we're all about finding another way around it yeah. and black widow widow being like nope world sucks we're at war now got to kill yeah even though we know that one of the champions is going to kill captain america at the end Possibly. I mean, <laughs> hey, that it could be anything to get yeah. us there. We don't know yet. Let's put it th- like here. I'm tossing out there now. Uh, Cap's gonna snap out of it and be like, "You gotta kill me." It's the and only then, way out. Yeah, the and, then, and then and then he'll kill him. But uh, but yeah, who knows, man? It's it's a it's a crazy bumpy ride, and I'm thankful to say that it's not ending anytime soon. So uh, yeah, let us know in the comments down below, or of course, if you're watching this later, share it with us. Uh, is DC more consumer friendly than Marvel? Let us know what you think. Is it working? Is uh, are you buying more DC than Marvel, or do you, or if you are buying more Marvel than DC? Tell us why. What's so appealing about Marvel right now that you enjoy? What, I'd like to know. What, bo- what books are you digging? Yeah. yeah, what books are you digging and why are you sticking with it? So, uh, yeah, uh, what's happening over at Cape Joel that everybody can check out before we wrap up the show? Uh, well, if you head on over to the Comic Multiverse SoundCloud page, Matt and myself, in honor of Wonder Woman, we recorded a commentary track for the 2009 animated Wonder Woman movie. Oh, nice. It was really good. I love that movie. I think it's fan- It's one of the best of DC's It, it might be the best one animation. they've done because it's like, hey, we've had lots of great live-action Batman and Superman movies. Only one truly excellent standalone Wonder Woman outing, and it was this one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, if you oh, haven't hopefully already... the live-action one impresses. Yeah, I hope so, too. I haven't seen it yet. But Neither have I. Looking forward to it. Uh, over here on Comic Pop, we're going to be releasing a new episode of Back Issues in a couple, in about an hour or so. Uh, we didn't do Wonder Woman because no, it doesn't work. The tie-in stuff it never works. So we're just doing something else. Enjoy. I'm, I'm doing a tie-in this week. Actually, I'm doing a required reading of like the nine must-read Wonder Woman stories. I did one for Guardians and it tanked. I hope Wonder Woman does a little better. Yeah. Now that said, uh, we have done quite a few. Uh, things for Wonder Woman. I did a little video how to get into Wonder Woman in the first place. Recommended some solid titles. Uh, we've also done two episodes of back issues dedicated to Wonder Woman. Earth 1 and uh, Wonder Woman Blood from the New 52. Check them out. They're a lot of fun. I think you're really going to enjoy them and I think hopefully people will enjoy them if they're coming off of the high of Wonder Woman at the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to watch back issues, uh, you know, a brand new one just to get into Wonder Woman. Instead, you can watch a fun little back issues crossover event with Batman and Captain America. <laughs> There you go. Cap's relevant. I don't know. We'll see. He's super relevant. It's a fun episode. Check it out. And we'll see you guys next time, of course, on the Elseworlds Exchange. I'm Sal. I'm Joel. So long, everybody. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.